0: This is the Off-Grid Agris Podcast. This podcast is about sharing our journeys into liberty through self-sufficiency, off-grid living, non-compliance, counter-economics, and the Agora. Every episode will contain useful, practical, and applicable information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. This information is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. You could even consider it to be fictional if you choose. Before we start the show, I want to remind you about The Hitching Post, our free bi-weekly newsletter all about liberty through self-sufficiency and counter-economics. To sign up, go to offgridagorist.com slash newsletter, or click the link in the show notes. Thanks. Let's get on with the show.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Off Grid Agorist podcast, streaming live Saturdays, 9 a.m. Central Time. Woohoo!
0: That's us. (laughs)
1: I am Regina, I'm here with my co-host Cyrus, and today we are talking about the renegade entrepreneur.
0: Right on, the backbone of agorism.
1: Yes, we are both renegade entrepreneurs to some degree, Yeah. so we can talk freely about this topic through experience. So before we get started on all that visit offgridagorist.com. you can get our uh, links to our live streams where you can chat on multiple platforms with us live and we can answer questions and we are also building a discord channel that is growing slowly but surely that is offgridagoras.com slash discord that is our agorist off-grid community you can be a part of it
0: right and uh, just a reminder for those in the Discord or those that want to join Uncle Size Book Club, uh, 11 a.m. Central Time today. We're going to be in the audio chat, and whoever shows up and wants to talk about Sal Mayweather's new book, Anti Politics. That's the one we've started, and uh, I'm I'm like three quarters of the way through it, recording it, and making bonus episodes for the podcast, and it's a pretty awesome book. Hell yeah. Lots to talk about in it, so I'm looking forward to that. Come join us today, 11 Central.
1: Very cool. I love it. Mm -hmm. Any other announcements we need to make that I cannot think of any? Can you? Nope. So, Cyrus, you are the ultimate renegade entrepreneur (laughs)
0: well, (laughs)
1: uh, on so many levels.
0: Well, I would say, you know, I, I learned pretty early in my working career that I just didn't like being an employee and, uh, you know, it, it had to do with little things too. Like I just didn't like being told when to show up and when I could go home and when I could take a smoke break and when I could eat my lunch and all these different rules that you have when you're an employee. And, uh, and beyond that, I always felt like, well, I always knew that I was earning my employer a lot of money. And I always felt like I could earn that money myself, you know? And those are kind of the reasons why i I went into working for myself and I've always just enjoyed it there. You know, the downside is the being an employee, the trade off you make as an employee is the stability of a paycheck where your employer takes the risk of, he pays you up front for earnings he expects in the future, basically. And so, There's much less risk as an employee. There's much more stability for a regular paycheck, you know. Whereas the employer, if times get lean, you still get your paycheck and he's got to figure out how to make all the, you know, keep the lights on and all that. So that's the trade off. And that doesn't matter whether you're an agorist or not.
1: Well, another trade off is. You have to do all of your customer service management, all of your contacts, all of your follow-up. You have to get all the materials. You are, like, owning the job. Whereas an employee can kind of just show up, flip some burgers or hammer some nails and go home and not have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. If you have a disgruntled customer, you have to handle it, billing issues bookkeeping, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot more weight on the entrepreneur's shoulders, but you're also going to make, like you said, a lot more money, and you're working for yourself, and you can set your own hours, set your time off, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And then also from an agorist perspective, um, it's really difficult to... To avoid the government's control when you're an employee, because if your employer uh, stays within all the bounds of the government, then you're locked in like your your employer controls. How much money gets taken out of your check for taxes and all of those things. So as an agorist, it's much easier to do agoristic things if you're the one in control of the business.
1: That's true. I think as so. an employee, unless you're under the table, you're walked in.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I would I would imagine that's the case. That was the case when I was an employee the few times I have been one.
1: Yeah, you have to file your, uh, what is it, a 1040 something or a WW9 or W9. 1099. 1099. Well, the 1099 is for contractors, so that would be reporting a... Contractor doing work for you. And then a W 9 or a 1040 is where it's like I have to write my social security number down, my allowances on my tax, everything, you know, and and Mm -hmm. they won't even let you work without filling that out, let alone your social security card, possibly birth certificate, driver's license, all of your identification. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you're pretty much, unless you're under the table, you are getting reported to the government. Right. Yeah. I don't think you can say, no, I'm not going to fill that out. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Well, I, you can, you just don't get to work there.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I've done. I'm, I'm sure other people have done that too. So. Yeah. And it's the it's the entrepreneur that really is the backbone of agorism because the entrepreneur is the one who decides what product or service they're going to sell and if that if that product or service may or may not be what the government says you're allowed to sell. And we have lots of example there are examples of that all over the place. And those are the kind of things that really put a damper on the government's control we've talked about marijuana before agorism Uh, agorism is the reason marijuana is no longer illegal yep Um, we've talked about Uber uh, how Uber started you know it was illegal in almost every city they started in for quite a while and then they just became so popular because the service was so much better than a regular taxi service that people started using them and, you know, the the government's finally said, well, we've got to, we've got to bring them into the fold. We've got to uh, co-opt it, basically. Yeah. And those are companies that, you know, I don't think they knew they were agorists. And I don't think that was ever their plan to be agorists and follow the agorism, the, the philosophy of agorism, except for, you know, I'm sure there were lots of uh, drug dealers who knew they were agorists. but <laughs> Right.
1: They may have uh, not knew the term. Yeah, I think and, a lot of people aren't familiar with the term still.
0: Yeah, and if they and if they were agorists at the time, they didn't want the government to make it legal, which is, you know, pretty interesting. But
1: that was a big thing. So I lived in Northern California for a couple of years in my twenties, and I knew a lot of the local pot growers. It was all you know that area is notorious for pot growers, and there was a local, um, statewide bill. You know, should we legalize marijuana? This was, I don't know, 2006. And the pot growers voted no on it. Sure. Because they're like, if we vote yes on this, they're going to regulate us, tax us, tell us how many plants we can or cannot have. Uh, come into our spaces do inspections and they're like no way we're voting no on this and it didn't pass because all the pot growers got together and all the people who worked for the pot growers getting paid under the table got together and voted it down yeah and now it's you know obviously legal recreationally in california but at the mm-hmm. time it could have been legal much sooner but it was the pot growers that voted it down
0: yeah right yeah Well, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I would, if that's where my money was coming from, and I was looking at a government coming in and not only telling me, you know, how, where, and what, uh, I would have to pay them for the privilege. And so, you know, I would have been against it also. Exactly. Because I'm sure in order to get a license to sell marijuana in California, I bet it's costly.
1: Yeah, I don't know what all the permitting and red tape and licensing would entail, but I know that it tends to benefit the, uh, it's kind of vertical. You know, it, it benefits the mm. people at the top who have the money and all the small-time growers get screwed. Right. That's how it happened in Montana when they kind of quasi-legalized it. All of the mom-and-pop growers got screwed and the big... Uh, the big time guys were able to keep up with all their fees and permitting and red tape and BS because they right. had the dollars and the manpower to throw at it.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And they and they were able to uh, essentially purchase the, the right bureaucrats or politicians or whatever, you know, and just became part of the became part of the system.
1: Yep. Pretty much.
0: Yeah, so you know, I I would also like to talk a little bit about the risks involved with just being an entrepreneur because I think that for a lot of people who have a uh have a steady paycheck and a good paying job they feel like the risk is really high to go out on their own because of that stability. But for me, I think that m- Whenever I've been afraid of something and had a fear about something happening or not happening, once it was all said and done, my fear was always worse than what actually happened. Like my fear was the imagined worst case scenario and the worst Mm -hmm. case scenario rarely happens. Not to say that it doesn't, but, you know, it's it's not usually the case. But the, but what you gain when you take that risk, in my opinion, is worth it. You gain much more control of your life in terms of freedom and money and time. Um, but you do have to accept the risk that if something goes wrong, it's all on you, you know? Right. You're, if, if, if you, if something happens to the market that you're in and you lose all your customers, you know, there's no, um, There's no unemployment benefits waiting for you.
1: So, and I've thought about this as a multi-year entrepreneur and trying all kinds of different things and seeing what works and what doesn't. And there's, I kind of call it the different layers of entrepreneurship. And there's kind of this base layer uh, for providing a service that people really need. So Mm -hmm. if you are a housekeeper, gardener, landscaper, handyman guy, repair guy, mobile mechanic, small engine repair, if you're on that kind of that base layer where you're you are working to meet people's needs, you're you're pretty much in the safe zone. If you're good at what you do and you show up on time, you can almost charge whatever you want to charge (laughs) because people are so desperate for help in these departments uh computer repair is another really good one if if you're decent and you're you can manage to get your name out there which isn't really that hard you're always going to be busy Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but on the flip side of that you know how much do you really enjoy that yeah how much do you really enjoy cleaning people's houses i mean it's disgusting you know yeah how much do you enjoy being a mobile mechanic and working in gravel and dirt? And so uh, it's not as enjoyable, but then you go into the, you know, the upper layers of, Oh, I'm a entrepreneur. I'm an artist or I make pottery or I paint pictures and that's all nice, you know, or make jewelry, like more pleasurable, creative mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. Those types of uh streams tend to get rocked during ups and downs in the economy. Yeah. Same with well, being a content creator and and there's always a need for that stuff, but people's cars will always break down. People's houses will always
0: get dirty, you know. Mhm. I like the uh, I like the hustle myself. I like I like the uh, the idea that I can make, I can make money in a lot of different ways, you know, so to have more than one skill set is also very helpful. Like most of my life, the majority of my money has come from the fact that I know how to build shit and fix shit, you know, and, and I enjoyed doing that. I, it's the kind of work I like. I've reached a point in my life where I, I don't want to, you know, it's very labor intensive and hard on the body at times. And I'm ready to give that up. So I've been teaching myself other skills, you know. Yeah. Building websites, yeah. selling things online, cryptocurrency, all of that kind of stuff is all part of a plan so that I can shift gears.
1: Oh, for sure. Because at some point it's inevitable you will have to. And Yeah. I, I,
0: I think it's uh, it's always good to keep the keep it in mind that you can learn new skills. Done at any age you can learn new skills. Like with today's with the information age today, learning new things is easier than it's ever been before.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: That's mm-hmm. true.
1: Well, I had a under the table house cleaning business in Bozeman, Montana for Oh, not even that long, maybe two years at the most. And I mean, I I couldn't, I had to turn people down. You know, you just get, you get so much business, especially that kind of upper middle class where they have a big house and they have kids and there's like no way they can take care of it on their own. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, they just hire housekeepers and construction cleaning was huge. You know, all this building construction before someone can move in. It has to be all the sawdust has to be cleaned up, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I was just making, I mean, people were throwing cash at me, yeah, which was nice. But, you know, even being in my thirties, my back started going out and I started hurting and I'm like, I, and I started getting back spasms and I'm like, I can't, I can't barely do this for two years, let alone 20. <laughs> so you kind of got to think about the longevity of the situation you're in, even though it's an evergreen industry, how long can you really physically endure it? And then the another way to go about it is you hire people underneath you to do that cleaning. And then I would just mm-hmm. become a management personnel. But then that comes with a lot of potential red tape. Well, you taxation. hire agorists.
0: Yeah, you just hire agorists.
1: That's the way to go.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, Which Mooster, isn't too hard
1: to find, I don't think.
0: Mooster left us a comment that says, yeah, nothing more cringe than that old just legalize it phrase people throw around. Why won't the government legalize it? Then they could tax us.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: There are people that talk like that, too. It's like, crazy. I can't, I can't wait till they legalize it. I can be taxed. Great. <laughs> No. no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, good to see you in there, Mooster. You've been showing up at every live stream. Appreciate I know,
1: you. that's awesome. Very awesome.
0: The, it does, as an agorist, if you want to grow a business, if you want to scale a business, it does get tougher because uh, to avoid, to stay under the radar gets harder and harder the bigger you get. Right. So you kind
1: of have to stay a lone wolf or have a few trusted under the table employees, because once you start adding other human beings into your business and then there's all these, you know, things you have to think of, like, what happens if they injure themselves? What happens if they break some of my clients stuff? Yeah. And, you know, then you get into that rabbit hole. So you almost have to be kind of a lone wolf, plus one, maybe plus two.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think it's going to get, I think as more, as more and more people become agorists, which is, is already happening. Like the difference between 10 years ago and today is pretty significant just in the number of people that I talk to and hear talking about. The ideas of agorism, even if they don't know what agorism is, they're talking about the concepts. They're talking about, you know, the same stuff. Yeah. Um, And I think if we can increase our numbers formally, formally meaning all these people that are saying the same things we are, let them know, hey, there's this thing called agorism. And, you know, don't feel guilty about how you feel. We feel the same way, the more we grow our numbers in that way, the easier it will be for small one, one, two person operations to maybe grow to five to 10 operations because we'll have networks of uh, people that we can count on and create networks and systems to solve the kind of problems that we have now with uh, growth.
1: Yep. Well, and the government's kind of pushing people into a corner as the government takes more and more money and we receive less and less from the government. So it's like, what's the payoff here? And I know a gal who, you know, she was a nurse and it was the jab or your job situation. And she chose to give up her job because she wasn't going to get the jab. And she talked about setting up like a nurse's booth, uh, for nurses who got fired because they wouldn't get the jab, and people could come see them, people that are refusing to get the jab and get treated, yeah, at their own little office or station, like doing a right a speakeasy uh, medical
0: <laughs> kind of situation. Yeah, I think they kill it. Yeah, I, I, kill it. You, I, I had this idea the other day too, uh, talking about the the jab where. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a clinic out there that was like uh, an above board clinic, but operated in like a semi underground way, where you could you could go in there as an agress, and if if you say the right thing, like you have a secret handshake, knock, saying, or whatever, yeah, you go in there, and the whole point of it is this clinic will. Pretend like they jab you and then give you the credentials, but they don't, Yeah. you know, like, like you go see this, this one particular nurse whose job it is to just make sure you end up with all the, uh, all the things that say you, uh, got it, but they didn't really give it to you.
1: Yeah. I know of a person who knows a doctor that is pretty much doing that and entering people into the system and giving them their paperwork.
0: Right. So they can travel or do all the, or keep their job or whatever.
1: It's kind of expensive, but it's happening. So they just, it's going to be, you know, you got to know somebody who knows somebody kind of situation.
0: Right. right. It's, it's (laughs) underground for sure.
1: Yeah. It's totally underground. So back to entrepreneurship and, um, a renegade entrepreneur, I guess what, makes an entrepreneur a renegade entrepreneur. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hold on. I got distracted I'm reading another comment.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: What I don't know how to operate this thing. What Read it to me.
1: Um, there's no shame in it. I found an awesome old letter from the 1980s recently that the township sent my parents complaining they hadn't registered their business had to tell my mom there's a word for that
0: (laughs) right on exactly yeah yeah so so mom and dad were agorists huh didn't know it
1: yeah yeah i think there's a lot of agorists that don't even know that there there's a word for what they're doing
0: yeah they would have mom says yeah then they would have wanted their cut (laughs) exactly yeah Okay. So back, sorry about that. I interrupted you. What were you, what were you saying? Well, we talked about the
1: entrepreneurship side. So what makes an entrepreneur a renegade, I guess. (laughs) That's like the the second portion.
0: Yeah. So the the renegade entrepreneur is just the one who doesn't, uh, runs their business in the way they see fit, regardless of what the government says about how they should run their business. And that could range from, uh, f- like we've talked about for, uh, before, that its a—it's a spectrum, you know. So maybe maybe you're a clinic that is fully licensed and does everything above board, and then you've got this backroom stuff going on, or you know maybe uh, maybe you're a full-blown uh, agorist that doesn't have any kind sort of license or certification or permits or Anything that you do, you know. Right. There's uh, there's a few people around here I've been meaning to talk to that I, I want to see if I can get them on the show. That they're just regular business owners. But my suspicion is they're agorists, And they probably don't know it. Yeah. You know? And um, just talk like, for example, uh, there's this guy that sets up a little food truck out here. And I, I'm not going to give any details, but, you know, a food truck is a great operation, especially the way he does it, because he's not set up in the same place day after day after day. He goes to different places and he sets up. He sells incredible food and it's mostly cash. Um, and because he moves around in the way that he does, I don't even think he, I think he could get away without a, food license, you know, at yep. least for a pretty long time. And, and I don't know this person's business. Maybe they do events and stuff that make them, that require them to, uh, to have the food license or whatever, but even still, that's a cash business. Uh, right. I'm willing, I'm willing to bet. Well, I'll just say it's a cash business. So draw your own inferences.
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's two kinds of renegade entrepreneurs. There's, you know, people that are doing, selling things that are legal. They just don't really report what they're doing or get permitted. And then there's people that are selling things that are illegal
0: mm-hmm.
1: and obviously don't get permitted for it.
0: Right. So you know, gray one's a little black more market, riskier right. than the other. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know that's something for every individual to decide what kind of risk do they want to accept what are they willing to accept as risk and uh you know just go for it like there it's really difficult to find real freedom if you're compl- if you're wholly entrenched in the system it almost requires such a good paying job that you're well above the median income. You know, if you can get a job like that, you're well above the median income, then you can pay your taxes and do all of that kind of stuff and still feel like you're pretty free because the amount of money you have just allows you to feel that way. You know, you have options, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you're not in that position, it's, if you're median income or less, it's pretty tough to feel freedom because, your entire life revolves around punching that time clock and paying your share to the government. And it's just enough for you to survive on,
1: which is where I think the majority lies, right? The majority, and especially lately now that we've seen this massive inflation and the price of living going way up. Yeah. We've shifted even more people into that below the line level where it's hand to mouth.
0: Just making
1: ends meet. So,
0: yeah, and it you know like we've talked about before on the show. I think you know it takes it takes two earners nowadays, whereas you know back in the '60s, it only took one earner to pay a household's bills.
1: Yeah, and even two earners is getting pretty slim, depending on what in what tax or income bracket you're in.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's getting pretty. They're doing, there's definitely doing the squeeze on us peasants.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to encourage everybody out there to look into starting your own hustle. You know, even if it's part time while you keep your job, get a hustle going. Um, We've got a PDF, 131 ways to make money using counter economics. I think that's what we called it. Yep. And it's, it's literally, it's literally a list of a hundred and well, it's more than 31, 131, I think, but over 131 ideas for businesses that you could start that are agorist friendly. Mm -hmm. So you can get that at at our website, offgridagorist.com. It's a free download and, you know, look that list over. Maybe there's something on that list that you think, wow, I could do that. That's something I could do. Or maybe it sparks your imagination, and you think of something that's not even on that list, it's certainly worth looking into, and it's certainly worth giving real thought to the idea that uh, you could put a side hustle together and begin to move out of the system, if that's what you want to do.
1: Yeah, baby steps.
0: Baby steps, for sure. Mm -hmm.
1: It's always a work in progress, but... Yeah, we have a lot of good ideas on there.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's uh, XEd from the Discord group. as says it's a great book. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. Yep. Thank you.
1: Well, so. I think we were trying to make it kind of a shorter episode today because we've been going on for about hour-long episodes. Unless you wanted to keep going?
0: Um. No, we don't have to keep going uh, yeah. unless anyone in the... Uh, in the chat room has any questions they want to ask or anything like that. We can wrap it up. Whatever you yeah. think. Yeah. Cool.
1: Don't forget to catch Cyrus's book club, Uncle Cy's book club at 11, you said? 11 central?
0: 11 o'clock central today. Yep. I'll nice. be in the, uh, in the audio chat room.
1: To discord. Talk with anyone group. who
0: wants to be there. Yep.
1: Yep. That's offgridagorist.com slash discord if you want to join. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys, and we will catch you next week.
0: Talk to you later.
1: Bye.